Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, what's new with you? Hey, hey. Hmm, what's new with me? Let's see. This month flew by. I was thinking about that today. February has gone fast. I guess we have a leap day tomorrow. Yeah, you get one extra day to enjoy it. One extra day. Do you have any friends who have a leap year birthday? My godfather had a leap year birthday. It was like a big deal. I mean, he's, you know, an older man now, but when I, I spent time with him when I was little and it was to have the every four year legit birthday was like the biggest deal ever. And uh, it was always fun. We were talking about that here at home the other day and saying how strange it must be as a kid, right? Like, you know, you're six years old or whatever, and you're just beginning to understand like what birthdays are. And then you get told like, yeah, you you only get one every four years. <laughs> it's like mind blowing. Yeah, that is pretty mind blowing. I guess you get to pick one, you know, on the on these other three years, you're either gonna do a February twenty eighth or a March first birthday, or both. I think yeah. you should do both, but Anyway, but otherwise, yeah, just uh, doing the thing, doing my thing here. And, well, uh, looking forward to next month. Uh, we're going to get to see each other at mm -hmm. our uh, communities and councils event here in Chicago. By the next time we talk here on Bali, we'll have we'll have done the event. You're doing the keynote for your yeah. state of the channel research, which we will talk about on Bali, and very exciting to. Uh, to hear what you're going to share there. And then you and I are doing a fireside chat around a lot of the trends that we described in the outlook and that we're seeing already kind of come to fruition this year. So should be a good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've got a, we've got a lot of, uh, a uh, lot of stage time and that'll be great. We'll see a lot of people and I'm mostly excited to see you in person because I haven't seen you in a while. So I'll be uh, good. Well, uh. it'll be good. It'll be good. Um, for today, though, we are going to talk a little bit more workforce. We've got a new uh, study that got completed on the research team here, and it's been published. And to help us talk through some of these job seeker trends, we've got a regular guest on the show, one of our research colleagues, Amy Carrado, who's the senior director looking after we workforce research and a lot of internal research stuff, too. So, Amy, welcome back to the show. Nice to be back. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, one of the team here. It's nice to have us all, the three of us from the same team all on the uh, on the show today. It is. Yeah, so Amy, uh, I, I know that you pay a lot of attention to the workforce stuff. You know, this job seeker trends is one that we've done, I think, twice a year for the past three or four years now. And the, the dynamics are changing a little bit, I, I think. And I, I think we're beginning to see uh, some of that change in some of the data from this year's report. So I'm I'm pretty excited to go through it with you. I think, you know, to start off, uh, we just wanted to talk about overall, how many people are there looking for jobs? I think this has been, you know, an interesting narrative in media, kind of ever since the pandemic. And I believe our study showed about 27% of the people that we surveyed believe that they are kind of actively looking for a job. And that's been pretty consistent in all these years that we've been doing this survey, right? It has been. So starting this survey back in 2021, it's virtually the, the same percentage. It was 28% then. And so this is the sixth iteration. And it's been around that between 27 up to 30%. One time it was down to 25, but all pretty similar. So to be just over 40 million people actively looking for a job at pretty much any point in time throughout the year. It's, it's a lot of people. So this includes, you know, currently the people who are unemployed, but also those who are employed and looking to maybe switch a career or their field or just change their job within the same field. 
and change their employer. Mm. So would this include people who are employed? Do they have to have had, like, when you say actively, have, like, um, submitted a resume or some other online application? Or can they, you know, click the box if they're just kind of looking around to see what else might be out there? Yeah, this is the group who has actively done something like that. Okay. It's interesting to me because, I, you know, as consistent as that percentage has been, you know, and, and our research doesn't go before 2021, um, so we don't have like an apples to apples with our own methodology, but it's hard for me to believe that it's been that consistent for the past few years, and it would have been drastically different before the pandemic. And so, you know, with all the narratives around, uh, you know, the great resignation, which a lot of people have said was a bit of a misnomer, but, you know, even for it to be a reshuffling, uh, you know, th there's definitely some data points out there that show that there are some different things happening, but it doesn't seem to translate into a very different percentage of the workforce that's kind of actively looking for something. Yeah, maybe it changes a, a little bit in the types of fields they're searching, but overall it has been pretty consistent too. Right? Some of the top ones are retail and sales, um, healthcare hospitality, though hospitality and retail, those tend to be the largest industries for employment anyway. And they do tend to have higher turnover rates, but still top four field they're looking for is tech. Um, healthcare is another top one. And those two have big growth rates over the next 10 years. I mean, tech alone, that's two times, at least double the employment growth expected compared to all the other jobs overall. And keep in mind for this survey, the mix of respondents answering too. So it was from all industries. So it's a lot from retail and hospitality, but it's across the board responding to this one. Mm -hmm. um, I should also mention our partner, uh, Morning Consult, the research firm we, we partner with for this study since it started. So thank you. Thank you to them. So I noticed one of the things that did did change was um, just sort of a general perception of the overall job market. It's health, you know, and and you know one one drop that we saw was in folks thinking, believing that the job market was either strong or very strong. Um, specifically in in the tech market, we follow that very closely. Obviously, um, we've kind of been seeing a very strong job market for a long time. There's been some change in that. Um, and if you follow only the tech industry itself, you'll see all kinds of headlines about layoffs and things like that that can skew your perception of what the market is. But in, in generally speaking, for all the respondents here, if you're thinking about the job market in, in, in general, um, what's the big takeaway here in terms of their perceptions about whether the market's strong or not strong? And, what, and why, would, why would it be driving them to think that it's a little weaker than they may have in the past? Yeah, there's probably a few things going on there. When when comparing the percentage to the last time we did the survey, there there was a drop in those thinking it's a strong or very strong market. Also, think about the time of year. The survey was fielded early January, so they were thinking about the prior three months, Q4. And I mean, hiring fluctuations it varies a lot throughout the year. Overall, it's continued growth, continued demand, especially. Compared to a couple years ago, maybe the growth isn't as much since it was since companies were employers were starting to ramp up after they had laid off you know, during 2020. And then we saw amazing growth rates. Um, tech job postings were you know, the highest we'd seen in 2022 and still very high in 2023. But it looks like there were drops comparing it to that year prior when there were just such high numbers. And now companies that are maybe pulling back a little more, um, but still 
growth. And the and when you combine the strong, very strong with the you know the average job market, it's still overall, but it's still a majority. They don't think it's a weak market. Um, it's yeah, I'd imagine there's a lot of subjectivity to that as well. Individual respondents have had a bad experience, therefore they deem the entire job market as 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 not great. Um, people's perception of the general economy um, may then color their what they believe the job market is doing. So um, I imagine all of that all of that factors in. Yeah, and I I was really interested by that data point too because I think that that tracks with what we're seeing in job postings over the past couple months, you know, Amy, like you mentioned, you know, kind of heading towards the end of the year, that can tend to fluctuate a little bit, but it feels a little like uh, a lot of businesses have just sort of started feeling like maybe it's time to tighten the belt. And, and this has been a discussion, you know, in a lot of uh, economic podcasts that I'll listen to or, or data that we look at where a lot of the economic markers still look good. But all of a sudden, there's just something in the air, right? And and businesses start feeling like, well, maybe it's time to you know belt tighten a little bit, or or not hire as much, or maybe we're going to reposition, you know, based on the past few months of growth, or something happens, you know, even though a lot of the economic markers are good, and all of a sudden there's not quite as much hiring going on, that trickles down into the consumer space where people feel like, oh, it's not as good of a market. And then it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch over the next few months. But I was really interested. I want to start getting back to what you were mentioning around the, the top industries that people are looking at when they're they're looking for jobs. And one step that I want to take to get there is the factors that people are considering when they're looking for a job. And, and when I look at the top three the top three are that, you know, the financial situation changed, which I, I take it to mean generally that people are looking for more money. Um, and then number two would be they feel like they're stuck in a rut and they just want something different. And then number three is there's burnout or stress. And, and I think that first one and that third one are, are maybe kind of opposing forces, right? Where, where you might have people in lower paid situations that are looking for more money and inevitably, a higher paying job is probably going to come with a little bit more scope of responsibility, a little bit more stress. But the burnout and stress, to me, I would assume are coming from people in high paying jobs that have been you know, burning the candle at both ends, and they're looking for a reduction in that. So I feel like these are probably two forces kind of pulling in opposite directions. And then in the middle, you've got people that feel like they're stuck in a rut and they just want something different. And that could you know, be on either end of the scale. But do you have very much insight into the segments that are responding around those factors? And, and if you do see, you know, any clustering uh, around one or the other? Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And yeah, I would like to dig in that some more. I think with the burnout and stress, I, that one was maybe a little bit more interesting to me because that came up to be into the top three factor. Whereas the other two, they had been in the top three. The financial change one was maybe the top one every time that, since we added that question. But the burnout and stress, it did move up. And there's the factor of the types of jobs people are in now, the, that feeling of always being on, employers always wanting more from employees. You know, to set to your point about like the burnout stress of being in more of the um, maybe higher paying, more professional uh, career type jobs. 
I would argue that you could say there's probably a fair amount of burnout stress actually in the lower paying jobs. So, um, you know, working for, you know, the minimum wage to, the, you know, lower paying at an hourly rate and having to put in as many hours as you can just kind of make, you know, meet the the current demands of what everyday life happens to cost. Inflation has really killed a lot of uh, working class families and and that level of, of um of demographic that may be working in those lower paying jobs. So I could see both ends of this. I could see this being a thing that we, people in higher paying jobs experience that, like you said, Amy, that always on the, you know, you, you can never get away from the job. It's constantly something you need to be thinking about um, versus people in lower paying jobs who may get to quit and go home when their shift's over and not think about it. Yet it's a constant financial stress. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, I tend to read the burnout and stress as being job related, that, that it's like at my job, I am feeling really stressed because of the pressures that are put on me, as opposed to I'm feeling a lot of stress from my financial situation, which I would assume then is is that first option where yeah. people are saying I'm looking for, for more money. But the, the two of them could be, you know, kind of tied together. And, and again, I think then that's really interesting to take into you know, these these industries, right, where, Amy, you mentioned before, you know, health, uh, hospitality and retail tend to be the top two. And that's where most of the jobs are. There's a lot of turnover there. And I, I think sometimes we've got this narrative that like everyone in those jobs is wanting to move up the ladder and wanting to move up into technology or maybe healthcare, you know, or something that would be better paying. And in many cases, that's probably true. But that comes at a, at a cost that doesn't come for free, right? You know, to move into those jobs, you're, you're going to be moving into a job that is probably a little bit more stressful from a job perspective, even though it's, you know, paying you more to relieve some of that stress from your life situation. And it also requires a lot more skill, right? So, so you got this churn in retail and hospitality um, that are that are lower paying and maybe a little bit lower skilled and, and people need to build up their skills to get into these other jobs. And so I think those are two very different things that are happening in the job market when people are looking around. Yeah, what, what came out in the survey too is their perceptions on those barriers to entry. And you can see the difference largely there with believe the easiest to get into are you know, retail, hospitality, a few others. And on the other end, they think it's more difficult to get into healthcare and, and tech, for example, and that, that goes back to the confidence gap as well. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of different ways they can address those factors. Also, employers, too, it's nice to see them offering some more support for professional development. We'll always say there, there's more that could be done. Employees or potential employees, they're really looking for that support, too, of how to best meet the needs for the job. Um, and going back to the reasons for seeking a different job in the first place, right? It's not often just one reason. They, they, yeah. Most of the um, respondents in this survey, they were saying it was multiple reasons, not just one. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Seems to me what you what you know in terms of the you know um, the barriers for entry um, or the or moving uh, trying to elevate and move from one of the easier to get into jobs in hospitality or retail and then moving your career into something like healthcare or tech which would be the next number two on our list there um, I, I think the the big barrier is the jump between those the, the first set of jobs and the second is you're going to need some sort of 
uh, higher education slash training slash, slash certification. So there's something that you're going to need to do, which is going to be an investment, which is going to require money, time, all of that. Um, and so that perhaps is what the, the biggest hurdle is for, for, um, for people who would like to move from that first set of jobs um, and and kind of elevate to to the next set of jobs and get, and move into a different career. So the question I think becomes, you know, who is who makes it easier? Who to for that bridge to happen? You know, with, when it's training, when it's per, you know other professional development, um, whatever higher ed you might need. Um, is it incumbent upon? Obviously, the individual has to go pursuing it, but also like maybe you know the the the, the industries themselves, healthcare, uh, technology, etc. Um, have to put that ladder into place to help people move from one career choice to another as well. That would be helpful, yes, beyond just employers, association, yep. like us. Yeah, there's a, a lot of people working on this problem um, uh-huh. and, and trying to kind of upskill the entire workforce and match people up with you know their, their interests and, and some of their strengths. And that probably leads into our closing point here. Uh, you know, we can hardly let an episode of Ollie go by without mentioning artificial intelligence. And that was, uh, you know, one of the new features of this year's study. And I, I was interested to see, you know, what people are doing with it right now, which is kind of what you would expect. You know, they're, they're feeding their cover letters and their resumes probably into, you know, chat GPT or some other tool like that. And, you know, getting it to revise that or enhance that or do something, you know, with that. That's the the most popular option that we see. But looking into the future, when we ask people, what do you expect to be using AI for? The biggest jump that we see and and the, the top option for the future is using AI to somehow match your skills with available job openings, right? And and I think that that's so interesting to see because again, ChatGPT is what everyone thinks of today. It's the tool that we have available and that's what everyone is, you know, using and also kind of build, building, uh, you know, their plans around. But even these job seekers can see that there's this more complex option out there where the tools that they're using to develop their skills or validate their skills or list their skills could eventually be matched up in some way with these job postings and jobs could be surfaced to them, you know, in some way. And that's not really something that's, I think, available today, but it's a place that we could get to. And I don't think it's going to be uh, as direct a use of artificial intelligence as ChatGPT is, but it's a really interesting possibility. And it's interesting to see, again, that so many are thinking that that is the the top option that they might use AI for in the future. Yeah, I was a little surprised that it worked out to be um, close to half of the job seekers saying they had tried at least one AI method in their um, seeking of a new job. And try try whatever you can. Just you know, you still there's still things you have to keep in mind. Use caution when, when using AI, of course. But if there's something, even just one thing that can give you one competitive advantage over your fellow candidate AI. You know, it, it's at least worth trying out and exploring more. And that because that that was one of the concerns too, or frustrations, challenges. There's the experience in looking for a new job, top one being is the time invested in applying for a new job and interviewing. So using AI that, that can help save you time. My my dad said before, um, you know, when you don't have a job, your your full-time job is looking for a job. So um I mean, but maybe you can maybe not spend as much time on it as mm-hmm. as necessary with the help of AI. 
Yeah. And we see with the, in the data we talked about at the very beginning, how many people who are employed who are looking for a job. So it isn't their full-time job. They're kind of doing it on the side as well. Um, I think what's interesting is AI can help cut down time, not just in getting the resume right and churning those things out, but is to your point, Seth, is matching the skills up. So you're not wasting your time applying for a job that is not in your in your wheelhouse, really. And and so you can be much more targeted in um, matching what you're what you bring to the table to what the potential employer might want from a, a candidate. Well, we certainly haven't covered everything in the study, uh, Amy, but we've touched on a lot of it. And we will include the link to the study in the show notes here so that people can can go out there and check out what job seekers are doing, whether they are someone that's considering uh, a job change themselves or whether it's maybe an employer kind of looking and seeing what these trends are and what people are going through so that, uh, as we said before, the employers can maybe kind of take a step up and, and help bridge the gap in, in some ways here. So Amy, thanks for your time. It's always great to have you. Uh, thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew McMillan. And Carolyn, I'll see you in person pretty soon. Sounds good.